A psalm of repentance. The word repentance is not a favorable term today too much. The word sin, in fact, is not a word that people like to talk about too much. In fact, if you want to shut down a conversation with a friend, just bring up the word sin. I don't ever see the word sin brought up on the the news channels, especially in light of what's happened here in the last 24 hours with the shootings and things like that in El Paso and Dayton. You go like, okay, now everybody's going to pontificate about what's wrong and what needs to be done. But you're not going to find in that conversation a lot of conversation about sin. Sin, evil, the corruptness of the heart, where we go, left to ourselves as human beings. But it's just not the people that are really bad. We try to contemplate how individuals could do that which we're seeing on the news, but it's not just individuals that maybe have this bent or or something really wrong with them. It's, It's all of us. Left to ourselves, sometimes we really do not just stupid things, we do sinful things. And the more we get used to calling sin for what it is, the sooner we will find our way to joy. Because if you're just guilty of guilt, then there is no hope for you today. But if you are guilty of sin, I have a Savior to share with you. King David, pouring out his heart in different places throughout the Psalms, Psalm 51, he pours his heart out in the most authentic, incredibly raw way you will ever find. And in this psalm, he teaches us how to have repentance of the heart for sin. You see, David, he was highly respected, right? He's king. This psalm was written when King David fell. In fact, the caption at the top of the psalm, and not many psalms have this caption as to why was this psalm written, but the caption at the top of this psalm simply says this, when the prophet Nathan came to him, who, David, after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And if you don't know this story, you can see it all unfold in 2 Samuel eleven twelve. In fact, I'd like you to turn there, and we were going to read part of 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12 gives reference to David in this sin with Bathsheba. And it's not just a sin with Bathsheba. It's much more violent than that. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says this. One evening, verse 2, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Where was Uriah? Where was Bathsheba's husband? He was in battle, a battle that David had commissioned to fight, and he 
tells him, I want you to go and get the husband. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Oh, isn't that nice of David? Just genuinely interested. I want to know a little bit more about what's going on out there in the battle, Uriah. How's Joab doing, man? Are, are we knocking it down? Right, David. Right. Then David said to Uriah, well, why don't you just go on to your house and wash your feet? So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace, and all his master's servants with all of his master's servants, and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. David's plan was not working. But this man Uriah had more integrity in that day than King David. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem and the next day, that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah was, went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter, Joab, and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. This sin of King David has had lasting ramifications through Israel's history even. Israel was at its peak. And some of its fall can be traced back to this grievous sin. But God in Psalm 51 redeems David. And today, David is known as a man after God's own heart because of what David did on the heels of this hideous sin. You see, this wasn't only a sin of adultery. In fact, if you look at it, it probably wasn't adultery at all. It was probably rape. You talk about a Me Too movement. He was king of Israel. He calls this beautiful woman from this house that he sees roaming around. What's he doing up there roaming around time of day? Why wasn't he out in battle? And then after he commits this sin with Bathsheba, and she conceives a son and tells him, or conceives a child and tells him, he tries to deceive. I figure if I can just get her husband to come back and he can sleep with her, then, then they'll think that the baby that she's carrying is his and it won't even be a thought about mine. So he sets up the scheme and the scheme falls flat on its face. And so then he makes another turn from that and, and, and he gives a letter to Uriah himself, not even knowing what he was carrying. He was carrying his death letter. He gives it to Joab. Joab puts him on the front line. He's up there fighting, and the rest of the troops back up. Uriah is dead. Not only has David now participated in rape and adultery, he has now been involved in a murder. And then there's deceit behind all of that. The child is born. The child is born, and he gets sick. 
allowed to by the hands of God. David starts crying out to God even there, but God pulls back and the child's dead. So you got, you got adultery, you got rape, you got murder, you got deceit, and you got the death of a child. That's pretty heavy stuff. What are you going to do with that? Now, we may not have a list like that today, but I want you to pause for a moment and think about this. What sin do you carry in your life that you have deep regret over? Or maybe you don't even have regret. What sin in your life do you carry right now that is hidden and you're not telling anyone? And it may not be the big sins. I mean, those are big sins, right? All sin is sin in the eyes of God. There's not little sins and big sins. Sin is missing the mark. It's not doing what God calls us to do. So God in His very essence is holy and pure. He is upright in all ways, and so He cannot deal with sin. His heaven ultimately is pure, sinless place, right? So how do sinful people get into heaven? We're going to talk about that. It's through the work of Jesus Christ, of course. But sin is is an ugly thing that hangs with us no matter at what level that we've fallen into it. And it may be anger. It may be animosity towards others. It may be jealousy. It may be lying. It may be covetousness. It may be gluttony. There's all kinds of sins, right? About right now you're saying, I picked a great day to come to church. Well, I want you to look at Psalm 51 with me because it's not going to go where you think maybe it would go. You see, I think it's the work of the adversary, Satan himself, to let you know that if you're caught in sin, you are one hopeless individual. But that's not true according to our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. If you are caught in the trap of sin this morning, whether it's a sin that you can't forgive yourself for that's 10, 20 years back, or whether it's something you're ensnared in right now, I want you to do what David did. And what David did was he turned to God, not away from God. Turned to God, not away from God. God is holy and just without questions. And David knew that. But David also knew that his God was a compassionate God. So it says this in Psalm 51. His penitent hymn, his prayer, his song that he pours out that we know through all these years to this very moment here in August. Of 2019. King David pours out his heart, and the first thing he says is, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Now, what's he doing here? He is right sizing reality. Reality is, yes, there's sin, and he's going to dive into that more in a second. But he begins with right-sizing the reality of who God is. And God is a compassionate God. He is full of mercy. He has unfailing love. How long have you been running from God? 
how long you had your tail underneath your legs just whimpering away, going, woe is me, I really screwed it up. And God says, come to me. Satan says, oh, don't go to him. You're going to be in big time trouble. David turned towards God because he knew God was compassionate concerning his sin. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He turned to God because he knew God could do something about the condition of his heart and the guilt. Can you comprehend the guilt that David would have been feeling in that? You know, one sin will lead to another, doesn't it? Can you believe it? He just thought, hey, I'll have a fling with that girl that's over there on that rooftop. Bring her to my palace. And before you know it, he's been a part of a murder of her husband. And then eventually even the death of a child. But more than that, he was a part of a deceitful scheme against the very heart of God. He carried that with him. What are you carrying with you? I guarantee you, well, maybe you can give me a shot after service. I don't know. There is not a person in this room that's carrying more grievous sin, whether past or present, than what David was carrying in that moment. And he turned to God because of His grace and His mercy and His love. And some of you would give witness to that this morning, saying, that was me. A wretched sinner I was, and I turned towards God, and God gave me redemption. But some of you are still dragging around that sin of the past because you think God's plan is for you just to have a little bit of punishment and a little bit of variance to life because of what you did. So this is the first thing I want to share with you today, that when entrapped by your sin, seek the God of compassion for His mercy and His love. Turn to Him. I remember one Sunday morning when I was pastoring in Indianapolis and back leaning against the wall after service. Another large group that day and I walked up to the man and I introduced myself to him and he introduced himself to me and he shared with me that He had been the pastor of a neighboring church on the other side of town that I was very familiar with. It was a boom church kind of thing. He had planted it and had grown. There were five, six hundred, I think, at the time. And he shared with me that he had fallen into an emotional, adulterous situation and he unpacked it for me and I was just stunned. That man and his wife were both there. They became a part of our congregation for a period of time and God restored and healed them in some incredible ways. In fact, today, um, they're back in the ministry and they also have a vibrant marriage uh, ministry giving hope to people. But that young man, that young pastor, he did something that was critical. He did this. He began to seek the God of compassion for His mercy and His love. He turned towards God and he didn't run from God. He could have easily continued to blow up and destroy his family. Yes, they separated. They moved out. The three kids were devastated. All that was going on. What's happening in this? How could this possibly happen? And it was an affair that actually happened with someone in the very church. It was in leadership as well. Devastating. But to this day, I have great admiration 
for him and for them as a couple because when he was entrapped by sin, he turned towards God. And he could tell you the story today. He's actually written a book. And in that book, he talks about just kneeling in a hotel room and pouring out his heart to God for forgiveness. This is what David did. What do you do when you're ensnared, when you're entrapped by sin? It goes on in verse 3. It says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. This next part's critical. Not only do you turn towards the heart of God and the compassion, but you turn toward an understanding of yourself and your own sin. A lot of times we are rather flippant with our own sin. But you can't take Psalm 51 and tear it apart without seeing David just parked trying to comprehend what he just did in his sin. He says, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. It's like some of us that are challenged in this room today. We can't get past that sin 10, 20 years ago. Maybe it's present. Maybe it's the last week. Maybe you're indulging in it this week. You're making plans. I don't know. But it's right there before you. And David says, it's always here before me, this transgression. I know it. I know it. He says, against you then, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. What's the critical point that he's making here in his heart? He's making here in heart the critical point that this sin ultimately is sin against God Himself. Friends, we hurt people. We sin against God. Do we sin against them? Sure, but ultimately sin, missing the mark, is not against their holiness. It's against the holiness of what God's plan is for our life. And so David, as he's, he's knelt there in repentant sin, repenting of his sin, he's acknowledging it's always before me, but against you and you only have I sinned. You know, there's a big difference if you study Saul, who was king before David, And David was running from in his early years because Saul had a bounty on his head because he didn't like everybody liking David. There's a difference between Saul and David when they got caught, if you will, in their sin. Saul, he was sorry that he got caught. And he was sorry to the point of blaming others. But David did not go there. And in this psalm it shows it. He was sorry before God. He was repentant. He turned to God. Saul turned away from God. If you are in a place of needing forgiveness of your sin, you turn towards the compassionate God who has unfailing love and mercy. But then as you turn towards Him, come to grips with your sin. You know, it's funny. Just me sitting up here and I'm, I hope you don't think I'm pontificating. I'm sharing out of my heart. And maybe some of this comes from what was on the television and what happened in these cities and stuff. But I'm like, friends, we got to do something with our world. And it's not easy to sit up here and talk about sin. But if we don't talk about sin, and if we don't talk about the Savior that we have, then hearts are not changed. And people, you included, if you're one of them, will continue to live in your sin. 
And what we have today is what David turned to, and we have the great hope through Jesus Christ. But you have to come to grips with your sin and not easily pass over it. In Romans 3.23, it says this. You're familiar with Romans 3.23. It's a common thing, and it's like, oh, good, we're all in this together. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, including the pastor that stands before you today. We all sin. So let's not put people in different kind of camps. Oh, they're pretty good. They're so, so good. Wow, they're really bad. No, we've all sinned. And all sin is sin. Because it's missing the mark outside of the heart of God. But then look what Romans does. This is the heart of the Apostle Paul. He says, Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of sin. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is a penalty to pay for sin. And in David's life and in the kingdom of Israel, there was a penalty that paid for it. But in the inner part of the being, God brought healing and wholeness and hope. And it was through Jesus Christ that David found that hope. You're going, wait a second. You got your timelines mixed up here a little bit, Pastor? David, several generations, thousands of years, before Jesus. How in the world could Jesus do something for David back in the Old Testament? Keep following this. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe. That Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's why the communion table today, it's an open invitation to all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear about teaching that. It's built around the context of the verse that I shared in Corinthians 11 there. But the blood of Jesus and his broken body, somehow through all that, it's a wondrous journey of theology to understand how was that uh, effective the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus took on our sins. He forgave us of our sins. He took away our sins. And we are seen, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, as whole new sinless people. Not because of our goodness. Don't go down that road. Don't keep trying to do good works to earn your favor with God. It just doesn't work. The Bible says our goodness is as filthy rags. But it's His goodness, His righteousness that's imparted to us when we say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe you are the Son of God. You died on the cross. You were raised from the grave. And you did that for me because you love me. Come into my life. His righteousness comes into our life. His forgiveness is found there. So the sacrifice, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. And then look what this says. This is incredible by the Apostle Paul. He says, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and he did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. Do you understand that? 
This is incredible, enlightening truth, not only for people who live before us, but people who live in front of us. That the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, His death, His resurrection, the power of His Spirit to come into someone's life is a provision for eternity. You know, in God's sight, the past never passes and the future is always present because He lives outside of time. So when He sent His Son, His very presence into time, and that powerful event of the cross and the resurrection, it exploded in both directions. It was a provision for all times for all people. So why was David able to find forgiveness and healing when he began to pour out his sin to God? It was because of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who would come someday. And that effective work went back and touched even them, including them, in what He would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate His righteousness, for He Himself is fair and just, and He makes sinners right in His sight when they believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! There is no one outside the scope of God's hope and God's grace in God's power. There is no depth of sin that is beyond His ability to reach and to forgive and for His life to come inside of you and make you righteous. Friends, we have a powerful, powerful hope today. Maybe it's too recent and too raw for me to share this, but when that 21-year-old got pulled over by the police one block from the Walmart and somebody captured him on a camera and they blotted out his face, but he was in handcuffs and he was moving away, question is, can that young man be forgiven for the sin of murder of 20 people? He sure can. Because the provision's already been made for him. But someone like that would have to turn to God to repent of their sin and receive His life within. So when entrapped by sin, seek God of the God of compassion and His mercy and love. Secondly, ask to be cleansed from sin through Jesus Christ. You have to ask Jesus Christ to cleanse you of your sin. And David began to do this as he took with full head-on realization the seriousness of his sin. He sought the God of mercy. And through Jesus Christ, a provision was going to be made that applied to eternity past and his sins could be forgiven. You need to ask to be cleansed, though. Verse 5, Surely it was, I was sinful at birth, sinful, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You can reference this as inbred sin, that we were all born in sin, or that we've all sinned from early on. David was mindful of it. Surely you desire truth in the innermost being. You teach me wisdom in the innermost part. Wait a second. David, yeah, just move on. God forgives you, you're good. He's parking here. He's still parking here and contemplating the deceitfulness of his own heart. Surely I have been in sin since I was born. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop. 
And I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a plant. They'd take the leaves and bind it together like a little whisk broom, and then they put water on it, and they do ceremonial cleansings. And he's like, take your blood. Cleanse me. Cleanse me and make me whiter than snow. He's parking there. He's spending time on his knees. He knows that God's gracious and compassionate. That's why he turns to him. But he is not taking lightly his sin. And so what I say in this is not that you stay on bended knee and wall around in misery and sluggishness and of your own sin. But there is a rightfulness to say, this is sin. It's got to stop. I am turning to the Lord. Repentance means a change of mind. It's a change of direction. I was going this direction. Hey, party on. Who cares who I hurt? You only go around once in life. Yeah, this and that. Next relationship. Next relationship. Wait a second. If you're really repentant of your sin, then you're turning from that way of life to a new direction of life. And it's not just a turning of posture. It's a turning of mindset. And to have a turning of mindset, I believe you have to come to a place of deep understanding of how your sin is an offense and hurting not only other people, but it's sin towards the very heart of God. And so he was parked there for a long time. And I've had to take some personal reflection of this in my own life this week is like, am I so... Because I want people to be happy. This was not a fun talk to come to you today on, but I felt burdened that this was the psalm for us today. Even before the misery this weekend that we saw. What's going on, God? In our culture today, and even Christian churches, do we take the weightedness of sin to heart so that repentance is truly a turning Rather than, oh, I, he'll forgive me the next time. He'll forgive me the next time. Hey, hey, go, God. Thanks. Hey, man. No. There's seriousness here involved in it. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He knows the crushing has come from God in his spirit. But what does he plead for here? He pleads to hear joy and gladness. Why? I tell you what, somewhere his joy and his gladness had slipped away, and that's why his eyes moved towards Bathsheba. When you don't have the joy and the gladness of God in your heart, you will be prone to more escapist kinds of sins. And that's exactly how an excuse? No. It's just an understanding of what happens. And so he cries to God not only forgiveness, but to hear joy and to have gladness in his heart. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He's not saying, hide from me, God. He says, I want your face to be hidden from my sin. I feel so terrible about my sin. Blot it out. Take my iniquity away as if it never happened. And through Christ, that's possible because He's our expiation. I won't go into that, but He takes away the sin of the world in Christ. When entrapped by sin, seek the God of compassion. Ask to be cleansed from sin through Jesus. But then three, confess the seriousness of your sin and genuinely repent. I believe repentance framed in the right size, Christ-centered way needs to be a message that's brought back to the church today more. Because we're losing it. Create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, O God, he says in verse 10, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He's crying out, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Yes. What happened here? Did the Holy Spirit leave him? Was it, well, there's a difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people, was with people. In the New Testament, through Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within people. I know a lot of theology there, but what is this? Cast not your Holy Spirit away from me. He's saying, Lord, don't move away from me. I want your presence with me, your Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Here's this cry again. Something's happened. My heart drifted. Where's my joy? Restore to me joy and gladness. Sustain me with a willing spirit. And so in this this penitence of his heart as he pours out to God, he moves on to this fourth thing, which is to plead to God to renew your spirit, to renew your joy, and to renew your stability, your inner strength. And He's able to do that. To help you stand the temptation when it comes to you again. To make the right moves away from that temptation. To turn towards God. For Him to fill you with His Spirit so you're full of His joy and you find your contentment in Him and not the escapist sins of the world. So you seek, you ask, you confess, and then you plead for a clean, renewed heart and a steadfast spirit. Verse 13 says, then, it's an interesting verse, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Huh? Here he is pouring out his heart to God because he's such a sinful person. And then there's this little pivot verse that says, hey, then I can do evangelism. What? People will see the heart of a true penitent sinner and one who has the forgiveness of Christ and transformation and the joy and the hope. And it will be catalytic for leading other people to Jesus. People need to see what God's doing in your life. It doesn't matter how you've fallen, what your history is, 10, 20 years back, or even today. You have not fallen beyond God's ability to use your life to bring transformation to other people. Amen? Amen? Woo! You mean... I'm not on the B team or the C team for the rest of my life. No, you're on God's A team starting squad because God is doing a work in and through your life and He wants to put you out there as a poster child of His grace and His power and His compassion. Not in an egotistic way as we're going to see, but God wants to use your life to bring transgressors to Him. But only if you walk that road that we've been laying out here this morning. Deliver me from guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. What's happening here? He's he's turning from this this penitence. He he pursued the God of compassion. He realized the depth of his sin and that he, he needed forgiveness, which is ultimately through Jesus Christ. And then he contemplated how wrong he was and how indifferent he was to God. He cried out, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God. And, and from this, he's picked up with stability and strength and joy. And he begins speaking with his mouth the joy of the Lord. When's the last time you said out loud, besides on a Sunday morning, praise to God for what he's done in your life? Ooh, my kids, what would they think? They probably need to hear it. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? Psalm 34, what a praise, that's a real praise. You've been saying it? 
And good and bad. What a praise. That's a real praise. David was declaring that. What a praise. That's a real praise what he's done in my life. Verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. It's not the act of the sacrifice. It's the work of the heart that's behind the sacrifice. I've even thought of that as we've sort of sought to renew sacrifices to be able to purchase God's facility here. It's like, it's not the sacrifice or or the gift. It's the heart that's behind that. Let God work on your heart. Because if the heart's not right, then the sacrifice is not acceptable. David knew this. He could do a bunch of sacrifices. It would mean nothing. But what God was looking for was a contrite heart. One that would confess. One that would pour out its praise. So lastly, I just say number five, offer the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart. I want to give you some minutes in closing as we've walked through this for you to spend time with the Lord. And we're going to let you spend time with the Lord, not just in a closing song, but for as long as you need to in this room. I'm going to ask that you take your conversation outside of this room to see your friends and interact. Pick up your kids. But there's some work that needs to be done in this room in all of our hearts. And I want you to have that moment with the Lord. I'm going to have you listen to a song. We can sing part of it. Now we'll just repeat the song. It may be a strange way to end a service. But just as we gave you time around the Lord's table, I want to give you time at the Lord's feet if you need to seek Him. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I encourage you to take these moments and surrender your life to Jesus and just simply pray, Lord, thank You for dying on a cross, forgiving me of my sins, and I invite you to come into my life. I repent of my indifference, my sin, and I turn towards you. Come into my life. You can pray that in these moments as we close. And you too can become a Christ follower. Maybe you're a Christ follower and you cannot get away from the yoke of sin that continues to drag you down. Today, in this room, you can bring it to Jesus and lay it down again. The compassion of God is pressing towards you. Maybe you need to get up from here and go home. Maybe it's a walk tonight. Maybe there's prayer in your own room. Maybe you need to take Psalm 51 and walk back through it. There's a couple more verses there representing the issues of Zion and stuff and how David pulls it in. But take the psalm and walk through it again. Maybe you need to read the story about David and his sin. And and chapter 12 of Samuel there talks about how Nathan called him out. And David actually called himself out with the way Nathan went about it. Maybe you just need some quiet time with God. Make sure you have that time. Do not walk away from this day 
August the 4th of 2019, if God has spoken to you about doing a deep work in your soul to break free from sin, what you need to do is just cry out to Him. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And just as a couple weeks ago, I used a song from Keith Green, who passed away a number of years ago. It was influential in my life as a young believer. I want you to listen to this song of Keith Green. I can't do Psalm 51 without hearing him sing the song. Keith Green was one of those people God tremendously cleansed from sin and used his life to lead other transgressors to Jesus. So this is our prayer time. Lord, take the hearts in this room and apply this message as only you can. If there were words of me that need to be dismissed or ignored, then may those disappear. But God, the words that your spirit wants to speak to people today to be freed from their sin, to find salvation through you or to find freedom through you in new fresh ways, then press in against them as only you can in a loving, dear way. For your work on the cross 2,000 years ago was a work that's for us today to find forgiveness of our sin, to have joy and gladness restored. So, Lord, work in your way as only you can, in your name.